her two arms could carry. Of course, she couldn't leave the baby behind. And the suitcase? What was inside that suitcase that was of more importance than an umbrella on a day like this? Maybe she stood there all day, waiting. Maybe she was waiting for an arrival rather than a departure. Or maybe she hopped on the red line seconds after the brown line disappeared from view. When I come home that night, she's gone. I don't tell Chris about this because I know what he would say. Who cares? I help Zoe with her math homework at the kitchen table. Zoe says that she hates math. This comes as no surprise to me. These days, Zoe hates most everything. She's twelve. I can't be certain, but I remember my I hate everything days coming much later than that. 16 or 17. But these days everything comes sooner. I went to kindergarten to play, to learn my ABCs. Zoe went to kindergarten to learn to read, to become more technologically savvy than me. Boys and girls are entering puberty sooner, up to two years sooner in some cases than my own generation. Ten-year-olds have cell phones, Seven- and eight-year-old girls have breasts. Chris eats dinner and then disappears to the office, as he always does, to pore over sleepy, coma-inducing spreadsheets until after Zoe and I have gone to bed. The next day she's there again. The girl. And again, it's raining. Only the second week of April and already the meteorologists are predicting record rainfall for the month. The wettest April on record, they say. The day before, O'Hare reported .06 inches of rain for a single day. It's begun to creep into basements, collect in the pleats of low-lying city streets. Airport flights have been canceled and delayed. I remind myself, April showers bring May flowers, tuck myself into a creamy waterproof parka, and sink my feet into a pair of rubber boots for the trek to work. She wears the same torn jeans, the same army green jacket, the same lace-up boots. The vintage suitcase rests beside her feet. She shivers in the raw air, the baby writhing and upset. She bounces the baby up and down, up and down, and I read her lips, shh. I hear women beside me, drinking their piping hot coffee beneath oversized golf umbrellas. She shouldn't have that baby outside. On a day like today, they sneer. What's wrong with that girl? Where is the baby's hat? The Purple Line Express soars past. The brown line rolls in and stops and the do-nothings file their way in like the moving products of an assembly line. I linger, again, wanting to do something, but not wanting to seem intrusive or offensive. There's a fine line between helpful and disrespectful, one which I don't want to cross. There could be a million reasons why she's standing with the suitcase, holding the baby in the rain, a million reasons other than the one nagging thought that dawdles at the back of my brain. She's homeless. 
I work with people who are often poverty-stricken, mostly immigrants. Literacy statistics in Chicago are bleak. About a third of adults have a low level of literacy, which means they can't fill out job applications. They can't read directions or know which stop along the L track is theirs. They can't help their children with their homework. The faces of poverty are grim. Elderly women curled into balls on benches in the city's parks. Their life's worth pushed around in a shopping cart as they scavenged the garbage for food. Men pressed against high-rise buildings on the coldest of January days. Sound asleep, a cardboard sign leaned against their inert body. Please help. Hungry. God bless. The victims of poverty live in substandard housing, in dangerous neighborhoods. Their food supply is inadequate at best. They often go hungry.